Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Seria Chronicles is a Media Chronicles production. Welcome to the latest episode of the Seria A Chronicles podcast. It's me, Nikki Bandini. I've got Mina Rizuki with me and Mina. Normally I start off asking a question, but I just want to brag to you right now about the fact that I'm feeling a bit better from COVID because I have spent the last She, she said COVID again. <laughs> she said COVID. I was feeling so rotten. I can't even remember with my COVID brain whether I say COVID or COVID anymore. You, you never say COVID. You say COVID. 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 What do you say? Honestly, like, what do you say? Which COVID. COVID. Actually, no one calls it Corona anymore, does it? No, no. one. God, do you remember the beginning of the pandemic when like people were actually boycotting Corona beers in the supermarket? Yeah. Like that, that sounds like a sort of a joke now, but that was really a thing. Like you went to the supermarket and they just wouldn't be touched. Yeah, I know. It's, I mean, some of the <laughs> things that people do, like, you know, <laughs> some of the conspiracy theories. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it is weird, isn't it? Like I, this is the first time I've, I've got it, the whole pandemic. And it is certainly like... I'll be honest with you, Mina, like, you know, I'm, I'm jabbed, but like, I, I was definitely getting to the point a little bit where I was like, maybe I'm lucky. Maybe I'll never get it. Maybe I'm somehow immune. And that's not true. And let me tell everyone, I don't recommend it. Don't recommend getting it even after all this time. But yeah, it's, it's, it's just strange to think back on when this all started. Um, and you and I, um, were, were making a podcast then as well. And I remember like everything just stopped in Italian football. And I had a cousin initially who got in the very, very first wave of it all. Didn't end up in A&E, but it was, it was, touch and go. They were, they were really not well. And it's sort of, I don't know, finally getting it after all this time is a bit of a sort of weird moment actually of like, oh God, this thing on a personal level has come full circle. Of course, in the world, it's been going on the whole time and continues to go on and continues to be a really serious thing that people need to not take lightly. So, but just, yeah, strange sort of Nikki, can I just say something? Trajectory. Yeah. Not, not to take away from your nice and, and, uh, I don't know why I say this, like pleasant reporting, but basically there was a scientist who came out the other day and said, if you haven't already had COVID, then you don't have any friends. Should I be worried, Nikki? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. And, and then you had a little trip with your friends and you got COVID. What's been happening in this year? Have you not seen anyone? <laughs> I did. I did. Oh, God. Do you know about, um, well, we need to go into the weekend's games a sec, but I just, the other thought that's been in my head, because I was thinking about the beginning of this all again. Because I remember before I'd got to England and it was all happening in Italy. Mm. And I was saying to some friends of mine who are over here in England about 
not having work to do because the football stopped. And my friend, who's not like a big football fan, but going, they stopped the football in Italy. And I was like, Josh, they've stopped church in Italy. No one's going to mass. And that is sort of, that sort of question though, of like they stopped the football in Italy is staying as like this sort of, um, this moment again of like realization, because when the football stops in Italy, you know, you've got big, big news. And I suppose the slightly sort of continuing the, to bring it back to the football media and to give it the upbeat version. The good news is football stadiums in Italy are now full. They're now, they've gone back as of the start of this month to full capacity. And you'll never guess, Mina, because I know you love it when he talks up a game. You'll never guess which manager was talking about how having a full stadium could be the missing piece in the jigsaw puzzle that helped his team to push on and win the Scudetto right before losing his fifth game of the season at home. It was Luciano Spalletti, Napoli Fiorentina. Mina, what happened? Why can't Napoli win a home game? Is this after he said the full stadium will be a cloak that wraps you up and makes you a superhero? <laughs> you know what this guy sounds like? I used to after have this. That. I used to have this um, Swiss boyfriend, right? Like, just imagine. Like, you would think he'd be really cold because he's Swiss. <laughs> but, oh my God, the guy needed to light a candle every time he wanted to lean in for a kiss. He was so into the dramatics of it all. And oh my like, God. Oh. Like, as in like, dude, it's, you know, like, calm down. Like, this is a Romeo and Juliet. And I kind of feel that way about Spalletti and all of Napoli's game. Everything is so, like, talked up to another level. And this is why they're losing their home games. And especially, I have to say, it's it's especially sad when it's a full stadium and everyone's there to cheer them on. And everyone wants to see how far, you know, they can really take this as a good chance with the Scudetto and there's Chiro Mertens watching his father play, you know, that he's dedicating the goal to. But Napoli's Napoli. And, you know, I do get asked a lot about this. They were saying that everyone has like a, a weak sort of psychology at the moment, you know, into Milan, Napoli. And, and I was saying, firstly, I don't think so because actually I don't feel that way with Inter because they didn't go to Anfield and necessarily, maybe sometimes Simone Inzaghi makes bad choices, but I don't necessarily look at this thing, team and think that they can't handle the pressure. I think there's just been an, a genuine, let's say, misunderstanding as to how to use, how to manage without Brozovic, how to use Dzeko and Lautaro Martinez together. When it comes to Milan, yes, I can tell you psychology is more of a problem there. But again, it's youngsters and consistencies. And actually, in all the big matches, they've done well. They've seemingly dropped the, the uh, points against smaller teams who close up against them and they don't know how to find a goal. But with Napoli, I genuinely do think it's a, it's a pressure thing. Because when you get so close and sometimes you just can't get through, even though your team is very good and one that has been together for a while and you have tactical responses to things because you're Luciano Spalletti and you're a tactical god, then I have to think it's got to be the psychology. But in this match, for me, it is not having a midfield that is physical to cope with Fiorentina's ability. And I think that it's a mistake to not have Deme or to have Anguissa and to play Fabian Ruiz, Politano together, Insigne, Zielinski. It's too much beauty against a, a, a dynamic team that really fights and, and commits a lot of players to the attacking phase of the game. So for me, I feel like in this, in this one, it was a Spalletti error. And I think that he tried to remedy that, obviously, by, by bringing in uh, the likes of Lozano. And it, and it helped. But yeah, I don't... 
I, I just feel that when it comes to not putting these big pressure matches in front of the in in front of their own fans in the stadium, it just becomes too too much for them, and they don't know how to handle it. It's it's funny, isn't it? Because for me, I I couldn't watch this game because um, obviously, like Napoli conceded three goals, couldn't watch this game and not think about four years ago when they've just beaten Juventus and they go yeah. to play Fiorentina and they lose three 0 and the the famous story that time was Maurizio Sarri saying we lost the game in the hotel because the day before they watched Juventus come from 2-1 down to beat Inter. It was a one of those games that certainly could have gone the other way. Inter were winning in the 87th minute. They got back into their own goal. Miralem Pjanic should have been sent off. Like there was a lot of sort of feeling I can see watching that as Napoli. You might have felt like, God, we, they've just got close within a point of Juventus by beating the week before. Inter opening the door from them for them and they get slammed in their face. I can see that like being an emotional thing. But I still remember Sari the way he describes it, saying, again, we lost the title in the hotel. And then saying as he went up to, to his bedroom at the end of the night, he saw players crying in the stairwell. And you think, I mean, hopefully this is a bit of sort of creative license you're applying. If not, between you and your players, you need to get a grip of it. Because at that point of that season, Juventus still had to go away to Roma. The title race wasn't done. It was a big miss for them not to drop points at Inter. But psychologically, it feels like if that's really what happened, then it's a frailty that that is is not what you want. And I mean, four years later, it, it is a different squad, there's a lot of different players in it. But that question you keep raising, Mina, and I sometimes want to push against it because I feel like we we sometimes like can go too easily down well, these yeah. narrative paths of like not. But you do have to wonder a little bit about that because it really has been this season. It feels like it's been Spalletti's big mistake this season has been to constantly raise the, the tone on his players because they went to Barcelona and played, yeah. sure, a back to the walls game, but they got a good draw at the Camp Nou. And they came back home and he made it into like the big game and Maradona's watching us in heaven and, and they got walloped. Then you go and play the game against Milan and it's, oh, we're going to have a chance to be immortal or we can be forgotten forever and you lose and you just think maybe your team needs the opposite of this maybe yeah. your team needs to be told don't worry about it it's one just game a at a time yeah. yeah and have fun make it like a, a fun process but here's mm. the thing that because I you're right I don't want to go down this line in which I'm always sort of talking about only their psychology the only reason I say this is because obviously of the fact that it's a packed stadium and all of this but I wonder whether on this occasion it's less to do with that and more to do with tactics because it does kind of seem now yeah. at this point that Vincenzo Italiano has Napoli's number um, or at least like in this game. Like you saw in the Coppa Italia what had happened at the time. They've managed now eight goals against Napoli with eight different goal scorers. This is a team that has won That's only crazy. two. Yeah, they've won only two games on the road since December. They're just not very good, Fiorentina, away from home. What, 16 matches and six? They're just not that good. They're very good at home, not good away from home. They didn't have Lucas Torreira. They didn't have, obviously, you know, they've already sold Vlaovic. They're trying to integrate Cabral and Nicone and all these others. They didn't have Bonaventura. They didn't have Nasasic. And yet, this was a really tremendous performance. You know, it was... It was also the substitutions that came on, you know, with Yusuf Male and, and, and Ikone. And it was this ability to understand how to use their physicality and then change that to giving themselves the confidence to show off their technique. Here's the thing. I'm actually not a huge fan of the way that Fiorentina played this game. I didn't necessarily, I thought that 
they were almost lucky. I don't know how to explain this. I don't look at the team and think they're beautiful or wonderful to watch. I looked at the team and saw that Napoli is clearly superior in the way that they handle the ball. But it is it is about the moments and how they know when to apply the pressure, when to take it away. And I thought that they were perfectly trained and perfectly and had the perfect strategy for this Napoli side. So I wonder on this occasion, more than usual, that I want to focus less on, let's say, what the psychology and all of this is and focus more on the fact that Napoli maybe should have reinforced that team with a little bit more anger, a little bit more physicality in midfield, um, sometimes less beauty, win dirty certain matches. And Spalletti's good at that. He's been very good at that in this season to sometimes look at the opponent mm-hmm. and change his team tactically um, depending to what is required. But I think on this one, he got it a little bit wrong. And for this, I think it's a master to, uh, it's a, it's a genius move from Italiano. Yeah, there was a bit of sort of chess that went on, wasn't there? Because, yeah, Fiorentina took the lead in the first half. But actually, in the second half, Mertens comes on and within about, it's less than 10 minutes. I think Martins has, has got nappy level. Then it's at the counter move. On comes Iconi and it's literally his second touch he scores with. He takes his first touch to control it. Second touch is a finish straight through the legs of, of Zanoli. And I do think that that was one of the sort of games within a game that got played, especially in the second half, was that Fiorentina were going after Zanoli, who is um, 21 years old, wasn't he starting, I think, his second game as a senior professional. We love to see young Italians get a chance, but that's what happens sometimes when you've got a less experienced players out there. I'm a bit like you, Mina. Like I'm, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm instinctively inclined. Well, I will say I'm instinctively inclined to give a lot of credit to to Italiano because I think just a sort of big picture, Italiano has got Fiorentina something like 23 points better off than they were last season at the same point, and they've kept picking up points since selling Vlahovic, which is really impressive. I think that mm. thing you said about the eight goals scored against Napoli in two games, all different scorers, it's really impressive. The thing that's on the other side of that is is Napoli's performance in this game. Again, like you said, put put the sort of the narrative about pressure and those things to one side. Why is it that Victor Osimhen, who got a golden assist in this game, the goal was beautiful, but why is it that he still looks so disconnected from the whole team? Because you think he had 28 touches in the whole game. Why is it that Piotr Zielinski, who I, at the beginning of the season, was obsessing over how well he was playing, I don't think I've seen him play a good, good game in two months, three months. Like he's gone so far off the boil. And mm. I, I appreciate what you're saying about him and Fabian Ruiz playing together. And I think there's something in that. Like you need more, you need more combat in that midfield. But even just taking that aside, why is Zielinski individually not playing anywhere near the level that he was before? I think he's really, really off at the moment. Why isn't there an alternative to sticking with this 4-3-3 shape as well, for instance, when We've already mentioned that that Osimhen isn't getting the ball as much as he should, but also Insignia hasn't barely played a good game in two months or three months as well. Insignia has been really awful for a while, I think. Yeah. Which is such a shame because he could be leaving the team on such a high note. It could be like, leave Naples, leave Napoli as a champion and what a story. But it's not. It's not where he is right now. It tells you all when he's the captain. And when there's several players who are that Talented, because these are talented footballers who are off the boil all at once. I'm coming back to the manager and saying, change something, do something different. Actually, that's a great point. And I, I feel like Spalletti hasn't really come up with those answers. And then part of me thinks, is that being unfair? Because look, look at the standings. They're still very much in this title race. They're two points off first. They could still win the league. But I, I feel like there's a lot of players in that team who are not producing what I expect of them at the moment. And 
either Spalletti needs to be braver and drop those players for a bit or he needs to fix them. That's, that's his job. I suppose if you want to take the optimistic angle on the situation for Napoli, Mina, you could say, well, Milan didn't win. And at least Napoli, unlike Milan, can score goals because Milan, who is still top of the table as we're recording this, is still two points clear, but no longer in control of their destiny because Inter did win this weekend and Inter have a game in hand after beating Verona 2-0. I'm not completely sure which of these games we should go to first, Mina. Um, Milan, as a league leaders, feels like maybe we should talk about them first, but it was really boring, uh, their nil-nil draw um, with Torino. It was so boring. <laughs> Credit to Torino. You know, we, we've said this about them plenty. Bremer is an exceptional, exceptional defender. I, I enjoy watching him defend. Milan have got a problem. Two games in a row, obviously, they haven't scored, but it's it's more than that. You're talking about never really scoring more than one goal a game except for against Lerton Itana going back a few weeks now. This is one of those sort of things that for me we could overcomplicate, right? Like we can talk about with Napoli like we did about sort of emotions and we can talk about um, whether or not that things are being sort of prepared psychologically the right way. But in the end, what's going on here for me is Milan haven't got very good attackers. They've got some nice forwards. They've got some nice players like Leao, who I'm very enthusiastic about, even though he's been a bit off the ball recently. But they haven't got centre forwards other than Ibrahimovic, who's injured, um, or at least not doesn't seem to be fit to play anymore. And I, I really think this feels like it's getting towards the end for, for Ibra, as much as we love to believe it's not. And Giroud, who has scored some Goals in big games, which is a very valuable thing to have, but is still not breaking that curse of the number nine shirt by actually hitting double figures this season. So they're just not good enough at the number nine position, I think, Mina. And I think that's the biggest problem for me is that they haven't got they haven't got a great number nine. Yeah, which is why I laughed so much at Simone Inzaghi last week when he was talking about people want to talk about our tactics, but they don't focus on the absences that they focus on with other teams. Dude, it's Brozovic. Calm down. <laughs> yeah, like maybe De Bruyne, okay? But if we're talking about like proper absences, like can you just imagine this Milan side that has been on the top for 16 weeks, you know? Really, I'm still top. I mean, the game in hand is against Bologna. Yeah, who, yeah exactly. And and we don't know with what Inter's going to do because Bologna is held Milan to a nil-nil. So you don't know what Bologna is right now. I don't feel like we know what any of these teams is going to do ever at this yes. point. Yes. But to manage that without Ibrahimovic for much of the season, frankly speaking, with a Frank Kessier that has not the Frank Kessier of last year. He's just not the same player. I don't like his mind is clearly elsewhere. He clearly feels like he just it's time for him to move on. This was a guy that for me was so much like the standard bear at the face of Milan. You know, he's just not that guy right now. And again, you look at this match, there was no rebbage, there was no, you know, Florenzi or not important, Romagnoli, Kagir. Like all of the captains that you feel, at least from a mental point, can push the team on when they're not doing too well. No Benesser, who who allows so much creativity and brilliance in that midfield. Brahim Diaz, who you know, this is where you see the inconsistencies of youth. Him and and Rafael Leao. Interestingly enough, we we had a Q and A last uh, last week in which we were talking about Milan and how many of their forwards we would keep. And pretty much the only thing that Nikki said was she'd keep Rafael Leao. And I said, like, I would probably keep him too, but he's not a starter for me. I, I don't think he is. Like, not because I don't think he's hugely talented, 
but I do find him like he is still so inconsistent. And yes, he's young, but he's the same age as Vlaovic, as Mbappe, as as well, maybe not Mbappe actually, Haaland. I still want a little bit more from him and especially in these matches do you know what they mean like, sorry i'm cutting you off it's just because i've got layout thoughts in my head i'm sorry go, like, go, I, go for I, it. I actually yeah. would same as i would love to see spalletti change something i would love to see layout especially with milan struggling for goals elsewhere in the team i'd love to see him let off the leash and put somewhere different maybe even through the middle because at the moment as long as he's on the left hand side i feel like there's just this constant sort of like yeah okay but you've got to be teo hernandez's minder as well and in some games that was great because the overlapping between them is is fantastic like giving an opponent that much to think about is a lot but sometimes it means that Leao who's such an attacking explosive force is reined in because Teo Hernandez is naffed off up the pitch on his own and I I think that's a shame and I think that given that the team is struggling for goals I'd love to see him have a game through the middle I'd love to see him have a game through the middle and see if he can just get behind defenders that way because I think he might be able to but that's my personal being bonnet well to be honest with you there was a lot of uh, spiel and it still comes um as to why Real Madrid let Teo Hernandez and Ashraf Hakimi go and and a lot of part of that is I agree with you they're two wonderful players for one maybe you know they're not going to be that comfortable sitting on a bench yeah but two I'm I've always been a little bit unsure of how they cope with both sides of the game you know, and with Teo Hernandez, I do feel like his when he's at his best is when the whole team has to allow for him to be at his best, which means covering yeah. up for him. And 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 he is sometimes head down, and he is a little bit predictable at times. And defensively, especially in the big matches last year, um, even on occasion this year, he doesn't show up on defense in defense and doesn't make the right choices. Um, and that's, it irritates me. And I almost feel like because he does that and, and he is so brilliant, don't get me wrong, when he is allowed to have his monologue and allowed to be the guy, he is brilliant at getting those goals, at penetrating and forcing it through. But it also means that everyone has to work around to accommodate that. And I don't really feel like that's the kind of player that would have worked at Real Madrid. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of like, this is maybe why he's at Milan and, 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 and sometimes I, I understand why Ferlin Mendy, who is brilliant to the other two, sort of at the defensive and defensive phase is over there instead. It's just that ugh, I agree with you on the layout thing. I don't know what to think about it, but at the same time, I just look at that attack and I just think I really, it's, it's terrible. Like, honestly, it's terrible. Like Giroud is not even my, my first choice striker in most occasions. I know the guy won a world cup, but yeah, I'm just, I kind of agree with a lot of what Benzema used to say about him. Um, <laughs> you think he's a go-kart. That's yeah. what you're saying. You think he's a go-kart. Yeah, I think he's a go-kart. I really do. I think he's great if you have like one, lots of crosses are coming in and, 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 you know, he's a team that can dominate the center. He's a player that can dominate the center backs, but I don't really, again, him and Lukaku can score 45,000 goals. But for me, uh, on just on an eye test, they don't do that much more than what I see. For example, I get the feels from Jacob. You know, I get the feels from these types of forwards that do a lot more in the final third and participate a lot more in the play than I, I feel like Giroud does. I think it's a little bit one dimensional a lot of the time. I think Torino is fantastic at playing these big matches because, you know, you were talking about Bremer. Interestingly enough, I find this team can be so inconsistent defensively because sometimes they entirely switch off. And, and I feel like they've had a terrible 2022, you know, like this year they haven't been great. But in, it, when it comes to those big matches, whether it's your Juventus's, your Inter's or Milan's, they have really shown the beauty of their pressing play. 
It still annoys me that they choose man for man on most occasions. You can do it against certain teams when you use your physicality, perhaps not on certain others, like exactly like Inter and, and, and Hilas Verona, who also chose to play that way. You can't when the man that you're facing is better than you. You're basically lost out, you know? So to, I find like Torino and Juric have to find a different way of playing in certain matches. It works against Milan, but not necessarily in all the, in all the games that they will play. But either way, they're seven points off where they were last season. They're doing much better, 14 more goals. You can really see the brilliance of of all the players that are starting to grow there. You know, Pobega being one of them who will go back to Milan. But for me, I, I just feel like it's really hard for me to discuss Milan because they just don't, they just don't have any players. <laughs> like they're just they're like starved of some of their best players on an on a consistent basis. Like to come into this game without Benesser, without Ibrahimovic again. And and Simone Zag is crying over Brozovic who missed four matches. Like calm, you know, like it's amazing what Milan have accomplished with the team that they have and the youth that they have. So I do feel bad for them. And I guess you can say you expect more from them. But Torino is a good side. And when you have that attack, that really, for me, needs a huge facelift. It is what it is, right? Yeah, yeah I, I think um, that's all well said. I want to just say, because I was so aware before, there is a lot, like you just mentioned, I mean, you're in that Torino um, team to like as well, young midfielders, that Ricci-Lukic combination with Brecola and, and um, Vega, as well, as you said, is going back to Milan ahead is really nice. So it's not just Bremer who's doing well, though. there's good stuff, good performance from Torino. Don't want to not acknowledge them, but we need to move on. We need to talk about Inter and Verona. Inter, who took their destiny back into their own hands by winning this game 2-0. I have now got in my head, Mina, because you drew the contrast with Giroud and Dzeko. If Giroud is, as Benzema described him, a go-kart, then <laughs> what is... Jekko is Jekko. What I've got in my head for Jekko is like, do you know this like that? It's a Nissan. It's like sort of like kind of looks like an SUV, but it tries to be a bit more like nimble because he is like, he looks like a battering ram, but he isn't. So no. a Nissan Juke. I say he's a Nissan Juke. So he looks like a battering ram, but he's not. Like he's, you know, got a little bit of a move still, even as he's getting up in years. You think, Mina, or at least you suggested to me off air that maybe Inter's real solution is. Just no more Lautaro Martinez. Give up the one who's younger, who's got a future ahead of them, who's got all the sort of market value. Give up on that and and hedge it all on Jekyll. Have I understood you right? <laughs> yeah, I did say that, but I don't actually mean that because I, I also feel like Lautaro Martinez has so much room for growth. But it, it is kind of weird that, the, you know, Verona is a tough team to face. And to face it without Lautaro Martinez, for me, I was like, oh, this is going to be difficult for them because I'm not a fan of Angel Correa. I'm not a fan of Alexis Sanchez, right? So in my head, I'm like, if I'm going to go with anyone, I'm going to go with those two. But then Simone Inzaghi, oh, you know what I have an issue with? I can't figure out Inzaghi. I can't figure out if I love this guy or he drives me up the wall, okay? And usually I have like um a judgment on coaches and it comes pretty quickly to be honest with you but I I just can't figure it out with Inzaghi because he did the thing that I really so wanted him to do and, and he managed to move Perisic to the middle and it's something that I thought worked so well when he was at Bayern Munich under Hansi Flick he's so good with the aerial ability he's so good with it with the with the, um, the ball close to his feet and to have Gosens come in and then be the Perisic that delivers him to the box 
oh, how wonderful for that to have happened. So I was really impressed with the fact that Inzaghi made this decision and actually moved him in the middle. What I think is funny is that we've talked endlessly about why Italy hasn't made it to the World Cup and endlessly about Serie A's obsession with older players and not giving enough of a chance to youth. And then you look at so many of these matches and you think it's Jacko and Perisic, <laughs> two of the oldest players on there that are just remarkable to watch because of the way that they operate off the ball, on the ball, in the moments, when it matters, you know, they know when to apply the pressure, they know when, to, when not to. And I just feel like a lot of these coaches feel better relying on these men in these situations than sometimes when you are purely and you have to hope that Brahim Diaz is going to get his act together as a number 10 and, and he can't or can or Leao is inconsistent that day because it's normal that it happens with kids. But I also want to sort of fly the flag for veterans <laughs> in these situations and think that for all your youth, it would also be good to mix that up and so they learn from the older players around them and the older players can teach something a little bit more and be important in these matches. But this was a great match. I thought Inzaghi pulled it off really well. Um, I thought the team was fascinating. Jaco was everywhere and not just having to like play for this guy to be brilliant. He was playing for the team and you could see that. And that's what he's so good at is that his ability to play for the entire team, to be a defender if he needs to be, to be brilliant off the ball as well as on the ball. And I also, I, I was amazed at the performance that happened at the back when Bastoni wasn't playing as well. I'm saying mean in Nissan Duke. It's got space in the back for the kids. It's a whole family <laughs> car. It's not just doing it for itself. You're right. It's a brilliant analogy. <laughs> I, I, why, do we, why do I come up with this analogy when we're not even sponsored? Nissan, <laughs> come on, give us, give us some sponsorship and, then, and I can come up with different cars every week or something. I don't even know anything about cars, Mina. I'm the worst person when I do this. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, I um, I think uh, there's something in what you're talking about there of like um, the age thing. I think because I don't think it's been all season a season for old um, for the old geezers. I think there's been lots of really exciting stuff with young players in Serie A this season. But isn't it interesting that at the business end of the season that we do end up talking more about those old heads and maybe sometimes that's what it takes to get across the line at the end of a title race is a bit of that experience and and wisdom. Also, you know, being sort of more critical about it and especially in light of um, Serie of Italy's failure to qualify for the World Cup, I think maybe we can say, or at least I, I feel that Serie division this season, one of the things that's missing, not completely, because we've already talked about Victor Osman, for instance, but I think we're short of great strikers in Serie A right now. I think we are. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's 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 the sad truth. There's lots of other sort of great footballers, different positions, but I don't think there's many great number nines around the league at the moment. And that is something that it would be lovely to see more of yet. And um, well, let's take another break and then we can talk about... Uh, at least one team that thinks it's found its number nine in the future and uh, some other teams as well. I want to take a moment to give a quick shout out to our new Chronicles Tifosi patrons. Guys, you are so generous. Thank you for signing up to support us and helping us keep making this podcast. New Chronicles Tifosi patrons this week include Jack Uni, Manuel Alcala, Monica Voidon, Ali Zambola, John Densler, Neolina Stefanova, and Salim Khan. 
I'm going to pitch in and I feel like producer did it on purpose where he gave me the easier names. <laughs> Samuel Dunn, Matthew Armstrong, Jamie Krug and Lara Giovanale. Thank you so much for joining and becoming a Chronicles Stivozo. Join us at studyachronicles.com forward slash Patreon or click the Chronicles Tifosi button on our website. All new Study Our Chronicles Patreon fees for the month of April will be donated to Omadit Children's Hospital in Kiev, Ukraine. The biggest children's hospital in Ukraine, which is doing amazing work treating children injured by military fighting, including shrapnel and gunshot wounds, as well as continuing treatment for life-threatening illnesses. Read about the hospital via the link in the show notes. Now, Mina, when I teased this uh, last segment, I was actually thinking about Juventus with their striker of the future, because of course, Dusan Vlavic is one of the number nines who is younger, who we think is going to be around in Serie A for a bit, and who is quite exciting. But I'm not certain we should start the segment there, even though I'm sure you'd love to, because I think um, maybe more sort of globally sort of intriguing this week, the two uh, European representatives of Serie A that are still in Europe, which is Roma and Atalanta. Both of them had mixed weeks, I would say. Atlanta, I thought, had a pretty good result in Europe, drawing away to Leipzig. I thought they played well. I thought it was a really, really fun game. Both teams with some hilariously bad defending, but also with some really sharp attacking. Kind of amazing that neither team scored more. But a good result to take back home. Um, one or draw, even though Atlanta's home form domestically hasn't been that great. Meanwhile, um, Roma lost the Buddha glimpse again. Didn't deserve any better than they got, I thought, even if the goals were a bit weird. Then after that, they come back to Serie A. Atlanta lose Sassuolo and Roma come from behind to beat Sernitana 2-1, another classic in this season's late run of always finding goals in the last 10 minutes. They were 1-0 down in the last 10 minutes against struggling last day Sernitana. Mina, I'll throw this one open because I don't know what's most interesting to you, but obviously I gave a Patreon minisode about the European games. I don't know if you have any strong thoughts on the European games and what you think the two teams' chances are of getting through them, or if this weekend's games were more revealing to you about those two teams. Um, I feel really sorry for Atalanta. I, I'm not going to lie. I think it's been um, a, a terrible season for them in general because of, of all the absences that they've had to deal with, with the ability to sometimes keep going at a thousand miles an hour when you are missing so many important players and so many of what I would call your brains, the the men who are capable of thinking their way through tough situations, like your Ilicic, like your Papu Gomez, who they obviously let go of. But I think that when you slowly start to lose that, and of course Zapata, Duban Zapata for a lot of uh, the beginning of 2022, um, yeah, it becomes very difficult for them. They've only managed 13 points in 12 games now, only won three in their last 14. That's never happened to Gasparini at Atalanta. And I feel like Sassuolo really are, to me, a really fun team to watch right now, especially when they do have Berardi out there on the right-hand side and Maxime Lopez in the middle. They are just a, a team that really understand how coordinated they can be and how brilliant they are. So for me, I feel like that, that makes sense to me. I think it's going to be, I thought they were great against Leipzig, but I also thought Leipzig was so good under Tedesco. He's such a good coach and I think that he understands Atalanta well. It's going to be really tough and I'm never sure of how Atalanta perform when they're in Bergamo. So that's going to be really interesting. When it comes to Roma, 
you know, chapeau to Mourinho because he really has managed uh, this wonderful push. On a mental level, this team is doing everything that it can right now to, to get the points that it needs to keep the pressure on Juventus for fourth place, even though Mourinho says that it's too difficult for them to do that. But I do see that, you know, listen, he's given youth a chance. Tammy Abraham has, has developed nicely in this team. You've got Smalling <laughs> scoring goals right now. And I like their midfield. I like Mkhitaryan's performances this season. And when it comes to Bodo Glimt, I'll be honest with you, I really like Bodo Glimt. I think they're a terrific team. I think that when we're talking about teams and how you construct one, if I was building a squad from scratch, I would do exactly what they're doing. I would also hire somebody who is a former, I was going to say, um, like they have a psychology coach. They have war veterans who come in and talk to the team. They have this ability to scout players amazing in amazing ways. They know how to turn over profit, but they also know how to make it a game and just have fun. So Bodo Glimp for me are a really tough opponent to watch because for them, this means so much, but at the same time, they're not snobby about it. I don't know how to explain where right? I feel like with Roma, there's a lot of on the fact that they're a historical team that beat Barcelona in the Champions League in the most recent time that they've been there. And this is the conference team, but everyone thinks of them as being a much better opponent than let's say Bodo Glimta. But I don't, I don't know what I think of Roma. I don't watch them play and think to myself, it's a fantastic team to watch. And I don't know whether, considering Davide Nicola's reaction at the very end of the game, whether there's something to be said about the attitude of this team in general. You know, there was like obviously lots of talk after the Europa League game with like the police involved, of altercations happening. And then on this occasion with Zelenitana, Jose Mourinho was coming out and saying, no, I'm sorry, we were a little bit aggressive in what we were saying to them. I don't know what this does for their reputation, but... And I also don't know how I feel about players like Zaniolo either. Like, is this a guy that anyone wants on their team? Or Because he is so talented and he's so brilliant to watch. And then you hear sometimes Jose Mourinho say, oh, he's not available and you should speak to his entourage. That makes me think, I don't know what I think of this team off the pitch. I feel like I don't want to see them in a dark alleyway. <laughs> um, it's such a way of putting it. Well, I mean, you know, we, we probably shouldn't delve too deep into what happened um after the game at Buddha Grimt, but I mean, some of the stuff that's been reported certainly um, wouldn't have been out of place in that uh, context. I um, think that Zaniolo is is a whole sort of big topic unto himself. I probably shouldn't go too far into it, but I, I think his future is going to be somewhere else. And, and hopefully wherever that is, um, it becomes somewhere that he can make more of his talent. Because um, I do think he's drifted off recently. I think you can definitely give lots of praise to Bodo Glimp. They're doing an incredible job. They're an extremely good football team. But still, I think to have not worked out in three games against them when they have sold so many players since the first meeting, when Solbach and who scored in the most um in the previous meeting against Roma yeah. was was not available as well. The expectations for Roma should be higher than that. Um and I think the counterpoint to me saying that is look, it's a two-legged game and maybe Roma win the second leg 4 0 and Mourinho gets to gloat about it. We will see. Um, but they do need to do more in the second leg than they did in the first for me. Mina, I think we should probably get on to Cagliari Juventus as well. Juventus 1 2 1, continue to keep themselves, despite Roma winning, keep themselves firmly in position for that top four spot. I see people will not let go of the idea that Juventus could still win the Scudetto. I think that's not going to happen, but. <laughs> Even I started believing. <laughs> it's only six points. It's the closest they've been, I think, 
I think I saw it written down that six points is the closest they've been off the top of the table. I haven't had time to go and check it. Closest they've been to first place since the second week of the season. So there's something for you if you want to if you want to believe. But obviously the main talking point from this game that I feel like we need to talk about, Mina, because I know it will be close to your heart, is how clearly Dusan Vlavic, the future of the club, loves having Paolo Dybala around. Did you see their celebration after the goal? Yeah, it was so sweet. Yeah. It was very sweet. Yeah, it's a shame because, you but know, Mina's like... Mina's not romantic. Mina's not having that candle offered to her by the club. <laughs> Club's not offering it. <laughs> I was saying off air, I'm like literally the opposite of romantic. Um, and, um, like, it's great, but it's like Cagliari. You know what I mean? It's like, thanks for that through ball, you know. But, you know, you manage it against Cagliari. Like, where are you when it matters? Um... That's a bit harsh to say, but I, I am glad that he wasn't substituted off earlier and that he was allowed to have the opportunity to stay longer on the pitch because that was the whole debate about Allegri wanted to take him off and then decided, actually, I'm just going to take off. I just introduced Benedeschi, but keep Dybala on at the, at the top of, um, alongside uh, Vlaovic and see what happens. And I'm glad that he did that because he was obviously the man who delivered the assist for Vlaovic. You know, it was sort of... A brilliant counter-attack because it was Dybala who lost the ball, sadly, you know. Um, but I don't want to blame him because <laughs> because he, Marin managed to run down the whole pitch, like, unimpeded by everyone there who were like, please, let me lay, lay the red carpet for you to come and attack us and we shan't stop you. And then obviously delivers to Jao Pedro, who finishes it off clinically. Wish you could do that for Italy, but never mind. It was the one match. And yeah, and, and after that, as soon as Inter started, as soon as Juve started to really hit and play and um, started to shock them a little uh, with Pellegrini's goal that was wiped out anyway because it hit Rabio somewhere in his body, then Cagliari started to lose, uh, I guess, on a psychological level. What I want to mention is, is sometimes the way that we indulge in hyperbole in, in, in Italy in general, you know, the way that we've been talking about the national team not making it, the way that we focus sometimes on players or non-players, how sometimes we blame people like Allegri or others for everything in general. This is something that was written in Gazetta that really, really annoyed me. So I'm, I'm sorry, it is just something that I'm going to have to mention. 17 goals in 21 games for Fiorentina, but five goals in nine games for, for Flaovic at Juventus. So basically he's saying, we don't need a calculator to figure out that this is really bad. And I'm thinking to myself, are we, are we being serious here? Like, are we starting to sit, sit there and wonder about Vlaovic? why he's not managing for Juventus at, at the same rate that he managed it for Fiorentina. And we're judging this based on how many games exactly. Nine games was written. Actually, it was eight because he only came on for 30 minutes in the other game. So it, it's kind of like a little bit ridiculous to expect so much from a player who, yes, he moved within Serie A, fine, but he's moved to a very different club with different players around him, different strategies involved, different coaches, different pressures, different ambitions. And so when we take all of this on board and then start criticizing and talking about why and the distance between the player he was at Fiorentina and the player that he is for Juventus is worrying. And this is after the guy scored a goal. <laughs> I don't... I find this kind of level of, of commentating analysis is what I find very irritating. And we don't want to take part in it because for me, I feel like what this does is just keep pulling us back from where we should be in Serie A. 
which is a little bit more looking to work together, looking to give reasons for why sometimes things don't work out. Vlahovic is still very young. And if you're not expecting Rafael Leao to be consistent, who is the same age, then please don't ask too much of Vlahovic at this point in time. And for some reason, let Dybala get away with it when he's turning 29 this season. So at the end of the day, you know, like, you know, sometimes players move on and Vlahovic is a superstar and hopefully he will become and live up to this potential. But let's take the pressure away. You want kids? Fine. But don't expect so much from them at times and allow them to sometimes make these mistakes. And then don't complain about it afterwards in your newspapers. You need to work together. It's like Allegri said, you only care about the result. You don't care about how well you play, but you tell me that we need to play well. Why? What's the point when all you care about is the result? You know, it's just come into my head, Mina, like, and it's obvious because, like, they they play together. But isn't it funny how Dybala, who genuinely is, is not a young footballer anymore, he still looks younger than Barbage, though, doesn't he? Looks like his son, no? I sometimes wonder if that does influence how our perceptions are of footballers, just how they look. Like, Dybala is going to always look like a, like a kid, and people do probably give him more leeway for that. Whereas Barbage, I feel like... Even last season at Fiorentina, sometimes you'd watch it and think this is like, it looks like a, it looked like watching a man against boys sometimes again with Fiorentina. You think, well, he's the youngest player there, but still, that's just the way he makes football look sometimes. I was just going to say, if Keza was playing for Juventus right now, I do think they probably would be further up the, the ranking. But anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, look, it's, it's you know, that, that, that thing I said before about how this is the closest they've been to the top of the table since the second week is indicative of basically how much that little wobble at the start of the season has has Helmed them killed it. Like they should be right in the title race. Um, and who knows, I am at the point where almost nothing would surprise me. I think it's very unlikely still that Juventus can make up the, the points required in the gap, in the time required. Maybe if they'd beaten Inter, but they didn't. So, um, but yes, that would have made a huge difference. And I think next season is to think about, like next season, like, when you think ahead, who's going to be your favourites? Well, Juventus with Chiesa and Vlaovic is a very different proposition, isn't it? And I'm sure that's what the club is counting on as well. But I, I would have just loved to have seen a title race where everyone had their players, like a full squad, like Ibra available from day one for Milan, you know? I wonder whether Inter would still be. And Osimhen all season for Napoli, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Genoa against Lazio. Um, that's a great number nine. <laughs> I was, I was going to, to go here to the fact that Alexander Blessing's consistent um, run of nil-nils is, is well and truly up because they lost 4-1. But our producer wants me to, to have a go at Chilo Immobile, I think. Our producer who may have his own um, his own news. I mean, you know what though, Mina, exactly what you just said, like great number nines in Serie A. Chilo Immobile should fit the bill, right? He scores 20 goals every season. He's done it again. And I, I don't believe in him as a great number nine and, and probably um, my opinion of him has, has been, well, not probably, it has been hit further by what happened in the qualifying. Unfortunately for Italy, I think, um, you know, you could sort of, I don't know. I think this this the, the World Cup qualifying playoff this year for me was a chance for him to rewrite the legacy of being the striker who led the line against Sweden and the fact that he couldn't do it a second time around, unfortunately cemented it. Which is a shame, but he certainly is a prolific uh, Serie A goal scorer. And I mean, that is certainly something that most teams in the division would love to have. I'm certain Simona Inzaghi at Inter wouldn't have minded if he'd been able to bring Chido with him to San Siro, but that could not happen. 
Mina, was there anything else this week you wanted to get to before we wrap things up? No, I guess just to mention the fact that, uh, yeah, it's like you said, Chiro Immobile, 179 goals, 14th in the all-time ranking. I think it's so funny, though, that how some players can look so good when you look at their stats, but actually when you watch them play, you're not that convinced and vice versa. There are players who don't do very well in terms of stats, but you still think are so brilliant to watch. Yeah, I guess that was really the the only point that I made. I have a ton of things on Juventus, but I shall save them for next week. So we have for this week's episode we hope you enjoyed it i would have liked to further half an hour just to discuss uh, some other things but it's very hard to sometimes stay quiet here um especially when i spend so most of it trashing my ex-boyfriends anyway um, we'll be back on friday <laughs> we will be back on friday with the chronicles q and a mailbag show you can also send us a question for the Q&A show via the website or on Twitter at Celia Cronpod. Find us on Twitter at Nikki Bandini, at Mina Rizuki, and subscribe to the Celia Chronicles YouTube channel for clips of the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your company. And ciao for now. c'è nessuno che si faccia vedere allora Totti con il sinistro prova a lanciare per Grosso che riesce a far passare il pallone c'è ancora spazio per un traversone prova a prendere lo spazio Grosso Grosso in area di rigore sempre Grosso ancora in area di rigore se questo è il mondiale di Totti questo è il momento la partita è già finita Totti contro Schwarzer
Andiamo tutti sotto la doccia, amici. Andiamoci a far scivolare la paura di dosso, ne abbiamo avuta tanta. Però siamo avanti, siamo ai quarti di finale. E se c'è un segno del destino, questo è un segno del destino. Sports Social Podcast Network.